This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to Reinvention Radio. What's up, Richie Ote? How's it going, What's Mr. Olsher? White Whale in the down the studio. Oh, you're my man. Mary Goulet. Where is our Mary Goulet? Oh, Mary Goulet is, uh, I think she's out. No, it's, it's not, not the third Thursday. It's not the third Thursday. She just said, you know what? I am reinventing my Thursday here at noon Pacific, and I am not coming into reinvention radio, which is okay. We miss you, Mary Goulet. We'll see you next week. All right, my friends. Man, you are in for an absolute treat today, and I am super excited because uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here, as we always do on reinvention radio. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, and if you're a long-time listener to the show, uh, be a first-time caller. We actually do this as a live show, and uh, and we do it every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific, right? It's been a long time, time since I've even mentioned live, you know? it's a, People forget. I often forget that we do this live, but we do it live every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific. The first hour uh, is all about reinvention radio, and, uh, and we bring you the stories of those who have reinvented their lives and are doing amazing things as a result uh, of making that shift from... Point A to point B, whatever that was. And, uh, and uh, in the second hour, we have a new show that we do called The Best Business Podcast. And we, uh, we are just about to launch that one. We've had some amazing guests on there. And the, the hook, if you will, the niche, if you will, of that show is uh, we only feature people uh, who have either exited a business for more than $10 million or currently run a $10 million-plus business. And so that show's a lot of fun as well, so definitely we'll let you know when that comes out, and uh, super excited to get that one going. But uh, here on Reinvention Radio, we do try to scour the planet to bring you the most interesting people who are dismantling the status quo and uh, are really helping the, the masses as a result. And so today's guest uh, is absolutely no exception. As a matter of fact, he is the poster child personification of reinvention. Did you say poster or postal? Postal child, exactly. <laughs> Very good, Ritiote. The postal child. I like that. There we go. And you'll understand why here in a minute because we got the millionaire mailman on with us, Mr. Tom Nardone. Tommy, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Steve, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on your show today. You are very, very welcome, and it's awesome having you here. And I don't want to give uh, the highlights of your career away here because, well, that's your job, and I want you to bring people up to speed in terms of where you came from and and where you're at now. But uh, you call yourself the millionaire mailman. Why? Why? (laughs) Because, good question. Well, I started working at the post office at the ripe old age of 19 years old here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Mm. and um, met my wife there. And she decided that our future would be a little bit more than what a mailman's paycheck could provide. So I had to figure out something to do to better my lifestyle. Just just so I'm clear on this, (laughs) she decided for you... (laughs) That she wanted a, a bigger, better lifestyle than what your salary as a mailman could provide. Is that uh, that's what I heard? She decided that for you. Hey, if you if you've been married before, maybe you understand that program <laughs> somewhat. Um, yeah, that's, glad, you, that's, glad you listened. Yeah, <laughs> smart man. Exactly. So uh, you know, we had tried a bunch of different things to try to get us to a, a different income level. We tried different multi-level marketing businesses and so forth. There's a lot of good things out there, but we never could get it to work for us. And then I found real estate 
And uh, I was fortunate enough to have some mentors in my local area here in South Florida that helped me realize now, wait a second, you're a mailman. So all day long, you either walk around or you drive around and you see houses. Mm -hmm. So I got to see things that no other people that were in the house flipping business, which is what I do today. Uh, I got to see things that nobody else, uh, no one else would ever see as far as opportunity goes. Yeah, but you let, let, let's back it up for a second, even before that, because this is not... I mean, it's interesting. You, you went, you took a seminar, and I, obviously I know a little bit of your backstory. You went and you started getting exposed to what's possible in the land of real estate, but you were already kind of in the land of real estate, so to speak, because didn't your dad, wasn't your dad uh, doing some of this stuff, right? Well, my dad was really another blue collar worker. He was a police officer, but he did moonlight like a lot of cops and firemen and mailmen do. They moonlighted on the side building houses and sort of got me into the real estate game a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was more of a builder on the side and and I kind of followed in his footsteps just doing the fix and flips. Mm -hmm. It seemed like a, a whole lot easier to just fix and flip a house than to build something from scratch. Yeah. Do you, and you no longer, I mean, we'll get into some of this, but I, I know that's no longer your your take on the subject. But Let's let's go back to it. So you're you're obviously walking the streets. Oh, that sounds bad. Tommy's walking the streets. That sounds bad. Um, but you're you're delivering the mail. You're walking these neighborhoods, and it took you a long time. How many years did it take you before you realized, like Jiminy, like there is opportunity every step along this path? Like at what point? Because you were a mailman for how long? Fifteen, sixteen years, right? A, a total of sixteen years, and I, I actually wound up buying my first investment property, my first fixer upper on one of my mail routes when I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So let's, once uh, let's, I re let's dissect that for a second. I just want to, I just want to sure. make sure I'm clear. So you're 25 years old, you're a mailman, you're making a mailman salary. A lot of people would say, you know, Tom, you're, you're on a mailman salary. How on earth are you going to be, you know, how do you afford that? How did you pay for that first project? Great question. I, I was out on my mail route one day and there was a house that was sitting vacant, and before I knew it, two guys pulled up, both dressed in three-piece suits, and they went and opened the front door, and I, I had asked these guys, I said, are you guys the new owners or something? And they said, no, we're actually the vice president and the asset manager of a bank. We're here to see this house for the first time. So I asked them, hey, would you guys let me take a walk through it? Wait, and, and they just said, just so I'm clear, is that because it was bank owned at that point? There was a four. It, it was, was a yeah. They had just gotten it back. Okay, they had just gotten it back, and probably you wouldn't see a big major bank today go. You know, guys in three piece suits and a VP down there visiting. But yeah. back in the '80s, uh, that was the situation. But mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough with that very first house that I asked them. I first of all, I made them an offer on the house, and then I asked them, "Would you finance it for me and loan me the money?" And they said yes. Wait, so, so you, you went that's how in, I got my first deal. So with, with the understanding that you would go in for 100% financing and they would pay for the rehab as well? Pretty much, yes. On that house, I did put down 10%, and the house didn't really need anything other than paint and carpet, and I put that sweat equity in myself, but that was enough to get me started at a young age. So what, what did you buy the house for? What did you put into it, and what did you sell it for? I know you remember your first deal. Sure. I bought it for 56000 I put about another 3000 into it and wound up selling it for ninety. Holy moly. Nice. Yeah. Wow. That's really – so, wow. So then at that, that point – That one deal was, was the profit of my whole annual salary well, that's in I 1985. So you were, you were making around twenty five thirty k as a mailman at that point? 
Yeah, that was the salary. I'm 58 now, so this was uh, over 30 years ago. Oh, but so it's like a million dollars today. So yeah, no, yeah. it's. Uh, I get it. So that must have been pretty eye-opening for you then. I mean, geez, you make as much on one deal. And what was the start to finish? So like you bought it on January 1st, and by what day did you sell it? Well, I actually wound up leasing it with an option to buy it to oh. a, a, an owner who moved into it because the the bank that the loan that the bank had given me on the property was like a thirty year fixed rate loan, so I wasn't under the gun to you know pay off that loan anytime soon. So I thought, let me just get a rent to own buyer in there, and if he buys it at the end of the year, I'll make a really nice profit and not have to sweat out making the payments because mm-hmm. it'll be rented. Mm-hmm. So when, so you did actually sell it then for the 90K? Yeah, yeah. How long after that? Uh, within 12 months. Okay, so a year later, and it was the same buyer? It was a, it was a renter or it was somebody, somebody different? No, it was the renter. It well, was a rent-to-own sale yeah. that I did on the property. Nice, man. Yeah. So was your, your wife was happier at that point? Did that, uh, did, did that help with the uh, relationship? <laughs> you probably weren't even married at that point. No, I was. I you was. I, I got married at age 23. That was when I was 25. But nonetheless, it allowed her to quit the post office because we met at the post office. She was working there and wanted to be a full-time mom. Oh, she wasn't shooting so, up the place coming in and she didn't go and, post on it? No? No. That was popular back in the 80s, <laughs> right? yes. That uh, was a thing. Um, <laughs> it was the thing to do. Going if only they had Richie Ote's happiness formula, <laughs> then then people wouldn't go postal. And, and by the way, that's not what I was implying when I said the postal child. Oh, I, I wasn't. I was not implying that. I was just trying to be oh, witty. Man. So it's been implied before. It's okay. <laughs> so I had a quick question. How how many years have you been out of being a postal worker? I left at age thirty five. Okay. So I quit in 95. So it's been more than seven years, so I can ask you a question without you getting in trouble. How long <laughs> was it before you started taking the calendars off the door of all the other realtors when you were delivering? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're talking about just well, seeing all the... Yeah, right. All the other realtors yeah. putting the calendars on the door, and you're like, oh... Committing well. mail fraud, right? Like, right there. This one's not well, going to get delivered, and this one's not going to get delivered. I'll yeah. put my calendar there Put my instead. calendar, put my business card on there. I'm well, right. uh, now that you pointed out the statute of limitations is over, um, <laughs> I, I, it was when you think about how we communicated back in the 80s, there was no Internet. There were no cell phones. So when the bank wanted to l- deliver for closure notices to the borrower, couldn't make his payments, they sent certified letters. Yeah. So I was like my unfair advantage I have o- over all the other investors trying to flip houses was it was literally my job to take this certified letter from the mortgage company, wow. go up to the door and knock on the door and get their signature. And it would lead to a lot of interesting conversations like, I got to get rid of this house today. Do you know anybody who wants to buy it? Wow. And I'd be standing there like, yeah, me, but let me come back in the evening in my civilian clothes so, so I don't get in trouble with my boss. So you started paying real close attention to those return right. address in the top left corner over there. Yeah. Where was this exactly. coming from? Wait, so how many how many mailmen do you have working for you now who are doing exactly? You talk about like <laughs> highly targeted leads, man. You you'd be better off just paying those guys a hundred bucks a lead. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. What are you going to do? Take out a Facebook ad? Take like I mean, you get a couple of mail guys on your payroll and you kick them a little something every time one of those goes out. I mean, come on. Let's talk to him about this in eight years. <laughs> that right? statute of limitations is not yet run out. <laughs> oh man! All right, so. Look, the the bottom line here is I just want to focus for a moment on seeing opportunity. 
right? Because it, it's so interesting that you walked these streets every single day, and it wasn't until your eyes opened up by going to a, a seminar and really just starting to think about what's possible in the real estate world that you realized, Jiminy, I am walking by millions and millions and millions of dollars of opportunity every single day. So what was the turning point for you then to, to get into that seminar? Do you remember? Well, the turning point for me was uh, the guys who were doing it, there was, there, they were recommended to me. Uh, at that time, there were a lot of information marketers that were kind of, you know, really just out to sell a bunch of courses. And uh, I mean, I guess we still have that today. I, I well, isn't lucky. that what you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hold on. You just on. threw yourself under the bus there, man. Don't do that. That's what we all hold do. Hold on, hold on. No, I, I, I try to separate myself from the rest of the guys by giving a very personalized mentoring experience and carry people through to their first deal is what I do today. Got it. Got it. Yeah, much smarter. And, well, not just different. Just a different revenue model, just a different different approach to things. But let's – so I, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So what what was the impetus then where you decided, hey, I've got I've to pull the trigger here to, to try and do something – Obviously, you had the threat from the wife, but what else was going on in your head? Yeah, you know, it was more of a thing that, you know, here I was approaching my 30s, and I I set a simple goal to buy like three houses a year because ultimately I wanted my life back. Mm. I really felt like the blue-collar job, as much as it's a blessing and it pays the bills and all that, when I looked at the guys around me at the post office, and being young and impressionable, I was like, I'd, I'd look at guys in their 60s and I'd be like, wow, when I get that age, with all due respect to them, I don't want to be like that. You know, um, yeah. I, I looked at the cars they drove. I looked at the lifestyle they had. And I, and I thought, this is not my highest calling. And I, I knew I had to do something about it. So let me let me just make sure I'm clear on this, because I, um, you may you may or may not know this, but I've got uh, a background in real estate. Uh, as well, I've developed over fifty million dollars in properties over the year, and so over the years. And so, uh, what was kind of the wake up call for me? Though, was I went in the opposite direction, which was I went in the direction of I don't want to be remembered simply as someone who made a lot of money, right? Like I just I wanted not to be known as that guy who, uh, you know, basically didn't use the gifts that he was given, who just simply took care of himself and those closest to him, but but really no one else. And you kind of went in, in the opposite direction where you're like, you know what, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with just focusing on the money and making some dough here and this, that, and the other. Can, can you kind of talk a little bit about uh, the balance between pursuing what I might call a commodity-driven opportunity and then you know, doing something that really is of service to others? Because, uh, again, I, I totally get it, uh, but I'm curious how you reconcile that in your mind. Well, I I knew I had a certain income goal I wanted to hit just to support the lifestyle that we wanted to have. And I wanted to have the freedom that my wife wanted to have to be a full-time mom and stay home and 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 be able to raise our kids mm-hmm. and and also homeschool our kids. So I guess from an immediate monetary goal, that was my my real first goal. And and I do you know confess if a confession needs to be made is that yeah I was just pursuing money I, I was just looking at the income goal yeah but then once I hit the income goals and I, I guess along with that income goal I, I had sort of a certain freedom number you know I, I knew what all my my bills were and I figure wow if I can just hit that freedom number so that I don't have to worry about how I'm going to eat and pay for my home 
then that leaves me time to be able to spread this opportunity to others and help them by enriching their lives and, okay, and you coaching can't just, and mentoring people. And you can't just gloss over that. So what is your freedom number? Uh, it, it's not very much, like 6000 a month. 6000 a month. And so it, let's just kind of play this out. So if you get to or you are at 6000 a month, what, what's, what's your mindset around that? What, how does that change things for you? Well, that means if I have a residual income coming in from rental houses that I own free and clear, that's main, that was my main goal. Mm-hmm. I figured if I can get to, say, 10 houses paid for, mm-hmm. and uh, I know uh, you're probably in the California market, or at least we met in the California market. Yep. Um, if, if that's the market you're in, uh, you know, maybe buying 100000 or $150,000 houses isn't something Californians can relate to. But here in South Florida, the re- real estate is still somewhat reasonable in places, sure. especially back in the 80s. So I figured, gee, it's not that hard to accumulate 10 houses that I could rent out for $1,000 a month. As long as I can get the mortgages paid on those, uh, I'll be good. No, I'll mm-hmm. be set for life. It's way better than the mailman's retirement. Mm-hmm. So, and then how how did you, because if you're saying they're free and clear, how did you pay them off? Because that's that's a struggle that a lot of investors have. And, uh, you know, and again, this interview is going to go down a couple of different paths here, but not the least of which is, you know, talking about real estate investing. How how did you pay those mortgages off so that they became free and clear? Because even at 50K or a hundred K a pop. I mean, you know, you're collecting a thousand dollars a month. It doesn't do much to pay down the note. Correct. Correct. So we found as we're looking for deals, deals that we would find would pretty much fall into one of three buckets. Either it was a house we would just wholesale to somebody else for a quick profit and not do anything to it. We would just simply assign that contract to somebody for a fee. And we have a deal closing today where the assignment fee is about 5000 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if you can assign two contracts a month, I mean, that's still a better month than a lot of people have. Yeah, for sure. The, and in the same pursuit of looking for the same types of deals, if we found a house that made more sense to do a fix and flip on because we saw we had an opportunity to maybe make a hundred thousand, uh, I'm sorry, not a hundred, but I'm going to say a $50,000 profit. Well, then we'd put that one into the fix and flip bucket and focus on doing that. And then a lot of the houses that I had accumulated where I just was picking up the house in foreclosure from my mail route for the 16 years that I was a mailman, I, as I was delivering those foreclosure notices I told you about, we had a lot of sellers where I would say to them, I'll tell you what, just give me your mortgage payment coupon book. Let me take over your payments. I'll give you $1,000 to move. And I would take a bad loan that was going delinquent and catch up a couple payments, take over their coupon book and may start making their payments and just assume their mortgage. Mm-hmm. And that, that actually helped a lot of sellers because if you think about it, a seller that's about to lose their house, they're stressed out, they're going to ruin their credit. And from the bank's perspective, they have a mortgage there that they're probably not getting payments on because the seller's several months behind. So it was a win-win-win for everybody around. Mm-hmm. I got to take over the mortgage without having to qualify for it. And the seller got his uh, credit restored. And the bank got a bad loan that was headed in the wrong direction, made current again. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I can't just gloss over that one. So it stayed, that in the third bucket there, it stays in their name. You're actually making payments on their behalf. There's got to be some... There, nothing goes on with the bank or in terms of title or, or anything? 
Well, the title does change because obviously there's two different places titles held. There's the title of the loan, whose name is the mortgage in. Yeah. That remains in their name. But as far as the title to the property, the actual warranty deed, that would go in my name or an entity that I control. And chances are that that payment that we take over is never going to see the 30th year of payments. Yeah. You know, when that property doubles in value and there's a nice profit to be harvested, well, then we'll sell it and that loan gets paid off and the seller's happy. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. find yourself still using those techniques in the states that kind of have this, let's just say, sub quarter million dollar home value or do, do the techniques work here? Because in California, a lot of these families can't save as fast as the down payments going up. Yes, the, the technique, which is basically called taking title subject to the existing mortgage, that technique will pretty much work in any state. Mm-hmm. But and just so I'm clear, and I, and I don't want to belabor this point, but, I, but it's a brilliant strategy. And I would venture to guess, even Richie, I mean, there's got to be a lot of opportunity here for sure. Uh, I just I can't imagine that the bank wouldn't want to be. Do you do you even tell the bank? I mean, if 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 something gets triggered at county, or however you you do that as far as the warranty deed is concerned, when something gets that's got to trigger something as far as notification to the bank, no. No, it really doesn't. Other than the title has changed on the property, but the the whisper in the back offices of the most mortgage companies are, hey, if the payment's coming in and it's coming in on time, don't worry about it. Mm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, which is interesting because if you have someone, especially, and I, I'm not suggesting that we prey on the elderly by any stretch, but I mean, if you have a mortgage that's a little bit more mature when it came to be when rates were lower because rates have been on the rise, then, I mean, you're almost getting it on both sides of the of the coin there because not only are you getting this home where in, uh, inflation is driving the price up, but if you're in a 30-year or a 15-year and you're locked in at a lower interest rate, I mean, you're getting the benefit of uh, you know, of that split too, so to speak. Sure. There's going to be a lot of principal reduction on a short term like 15 year loan yeah mm-hmm. you know the older we all get we realize 15 years goes by pretty quickly really yeah so some of the mortgages we had were 15 years old and they just simply paid out mm-hmm. so you know it's not a get rich quick certainly my, my plan was the long game but it was a solid long game mm-hmm. and so how many properties do you own now Right now, we own about 15 properties that we, for the most part of it, are paid for, but we have fixed and flipped over 200 properties. Wow. So you fixed it. And just so I'm clear, do you use some of the proceeds on the fix and flips then to pay down the mortgages on the properties that you're holding so that those become free and clear? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yes, you, use, so you use the three buckets, and in the second and third bucket, let's just say hypothetically, the proceeds that you get from the contract flips and from the fix and flips, those proceeds, uh, although obviously you got to go into new deals as well, but a portion of those proceeds goes into the existing properties to be able to pay those down. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Super. Super smart. Yeah. And now you're now you're teaching people. Uh, Wade, you're jumping out of your chair over there. Did you have something you wanted to add? Because I, I literally see you like bouncing up and down over there. Well, you know, and this may fold into your teaching thing. 
what I was wanting uh, Tom to expand on a little bit is for all the people listening and trying to figure out how do I do this, right? So you've done a great job of explaining three opportunities or three paths to opportunities. But what I'm curious about is when Tom was 30 and doing this, what did his day's work consist of? When Tom was, you know, made the jump to, okay, now I've got a bunch of properties that um, I'm managing in addition to the buying, what did Tom's day consist of? I'm assuming these days you're not wielding a hammer. And I'm assuming that maybe you were when you were 30. So again, the question is, give us an idea of what you were spending your days doing at stage one, perhaps what we might call stage two, you know, I'm now managing a lot of properties, and then jump to, say, stage three, now I'm training. Sure, sure. Well, stage one was certainly the building years. You know, things were tight. Um, I, I hadn't yet made really lending relationships because I think probably one of the most productive things you could do in the real estate business as early on as you can is to develop financial friends. Mm. And that means uh, people who have money that trust and believe in you and they're willing to take a chance and lend you money without having to jump through all the the hoops that a bank would normally put you through. Mm -hmm. So um, financial friends, gosh, even if you if you give somebody half of the deal, you know, you know, you could find let's say you could find a two hundred thousand dollar house that you could buy for a hundred, but you don't have the hundred thousand to buy it. If you find somebody who's already lending on real estate and you say, listen, you can keep the title in your name. Let's just have a, a let, I want you to write the check for the hundred thousand to buy it, put out the money to fix it up. Let me do all the work and all the hustle of dealing with the contractors and everything. You just sit back and be the money guy. And if you're afraid that something might go wrong with this deal, we'll just put the title in your name mm -hmm. and I'll trust you with a simple written joint venture agreement that, you know, we're going to split the proceeds when we sell. Mm -hmm. If you want to rent me off, <laughs> go ahead. We'll sell it. You keep all the money, but it only happened once. It would be a stupid thing to do. Yeah. All right. And, and that's never happened to me. So once you do that first deal and you, you develop those financial friends, I had um, one day, uh, um, I'm also a musician. I, I play guitar and I was playing guitar in my church one day and I was putting my guitar away after the service. This old guy in the congregation walked up to me and he said, uh, Hey, if you ever want to borrow any money, you know, let me know. I heard about what you've been doing in real estate. Oh, I thought I was so going to say, you're just such a damn good guitarist, Tom. <laughs> if you need money, you let me know. No. Yeah. Well, it's a church, but, right? So there's a, and I think that's a great uh, follow up then is, you know, where do you find these financial friends? And so there you yeah. go in your community, you talk to people. And in this case, it's exactly. just through your church. So he came up to you, you were playing. What happened? Yeah. He said, uh, he said, if you want to borrow any money, let me know. And, after he walked away, I said, who is that guy? And they said, oh, Warren he's Buffett. the vice president of the big <laughs> Toyota dealership downtown. Ah. So I, I was like, oh, okay. So uh, I found a, a little rundown house right behind the Toyota dealership. I figured that'd be a safe neighborhood because he works in that area every day. Mm -hmm. So I went down, met him on a lunch break. We went and took him to see it. And uh, we bought that house for 27000 I think I put another fifteen into it. We sold it for like sixty five, mm. And that was my first loan with him. Mm -hmm. And we went on to do another 30 loans after wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's just so funny to me because the prices he's saying 
are like, it's not even a quarter of a down payment here, right? Like 20, I know these were years back, obviously, yeah. but yeah. it's. Well, it's interesting too. And, and you know, it's, it's funny too, because my wife right now, you know, we're looking for a funeral home for her, you know, ideally to buy, but probably to, to lease someplace. And, you know, as I'm looking around at funeral homes for sale uh, on LoopNet and some of the other um, online uh, sites there, it, it's like, you know, this spot in Mississippi, you know, a two-acre parcel with a 10,000-square-foot you know, building for $249,000. And it's like, you know, and it, it is, right? I mean, it's all about understanding location, location, location. And I assume that's part of what you teach. But just uh, any, any further thoughts on Wade's question before we jump into that? No, other than I, I know he wanted kind of a three-part question or three tiers to that. But, you know, in the beginning, you, you're you're just working hard, willing to do whatever sweat equity you can. And as you get a little smarter, you s- start to develop financial friends who can fund your deals, and then you could hire the work. And then in the maybe the third tier of that would be to, you know, think about, hey, let's eventually kind of get off this treadmill. And let's develop some residual income that comes in. Mm-hmm. And that cash flow coming in happens usually from having rental properties free and clear. Yeah. Well, yeah. And of your three buckets, I think the one that most people might not know of or think of as an option would be controlling that contract and selling the contract off. Now you're literally just bird dogging and looking for these opportunities and passing it on and they get to make most of the profit, but you're in the game now and you're starting to make financial friends. Correct. Cause that anybody can do to get started with little to no cash. All they need is some sweat equity, a finger to dial the telephone and just scrounge up a deal. Mm-hmm. There's certain places to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, uh, none, like you said, this is not a get rich quick kind of scenario here and a lot of legwork and we don't want to sit here and, and put out any false hopes for anyone because uh, I mean I can tell you from experience that for every one really good deal uh, where you make some money um, you know you may very well have a, a deal that mm, well <laughs> takes everything out of your pocket so you know it's it can happen and it's, it's there's not just upside and, and frankly uh, you know, there's a lot of talk right now in terms of uh, where this market is headed. And if we are, in fact, uh, on pace right now to kind of get our butts handed to us in the real estate world because of the way that pricing has been, what, what's your what's your sort of crystal ball around that? Well, my, my crystal ball is first, I'm 100 percent in agreement with you, Steve. Uh, those of us who know the real estate game and have been around uh, a while like yourself, we're seeing like all this inflation around us and going, hmm, I've seen this somewhere before yeah, in the not too recent strangely past. Strangely familiar. Yeah, exactly. So um, what I'm doing is because I live in the Boca Raton, Fort Lauderdale area here, things have really I'll say they've almost tripled in value since the crash where. Wow. We, we know the crash things kind of overcorrected and they probably shouldn't have been selling that cheap, but. But nonetheless, I'm looking at selling some of the properties that I have a lot of equity in and going a little farther north and going into some of the hick towns within Florida, like north of Orlando, mm-hmm. where, where you can still buy a nice house for forty or $50,000. Yeah. Well, you go far enough east here, Richie. I mean, right? I mean, it's it's possible. Yeah. And that's actually was perfectly perfect lead in for my question. You were a mailman that walked the neighborhood. You knew the neighborhood. You knew the tenants. You... You got to meet them along the way. So you would know ahead of time 
an area that was good and you you walked the area all the time how much do you think people are still dependent upon knowing the area or could someone in california still go to you know let's just run with the hick town thing going somewhere else that is there a proximity issue or do you think getting too far away really hinders your potential not really, because in the last 10 years, the technology changes with Google Maps and Google Streets and just being able to drag that little guy in Google Maps and walk up and down the street like you were there. I, I'm making decisions all over the state of Florida now that I was never able to do even 10 years ago. Mm. So it's it, it, they call that virtual investing or virtual wholesaling of property where you know you're you're getting a house under contract that might be a couple hours away from you and you can do it all with email and fax machine if you want to use the fax still mm -hmm. and uh, get a contract signed and then wholesale it to a cash buyer in that market that yeah. happens all the time yeah hmm. now that's uh, I, I mean look as technology changes obviously you 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 have more opportunity to to walk i mean especially when with with virtual reality and some of the things that are that are coming uh, i mean some will argue there's nothing quite like being there and walking it but at the same token uh you know technology and real estate is uh, is absolutely something that uh we're seeing more and more investors and and realtors and even sellers uh you know taking full advantage of but i, I want to give you an opportunity here uh, before we have to to wrap to talk a little bit about then the current work that you're doing because you're actually teaching people now how to do this and like you said you're kind of hand holding them and walking them through the process so what uh, in addition to investing which I assume you know you said you slowed down a little bit on but you're not going to stop doing that but you are also teaching people how to do this so what what exactly are you doing well what I do is I mentor students on a one-on-one -on -one basis and currently like I, I have literally about probably 25 mentor students right now and I've mentored as much as 35 or 40 at one time and what that actually does for me is it's a win-win for both sides myself and the student because it, when they come across a deal that they really don't know what to do with it I can not only give them the advice on how to make a quick profit with them but if it's something they don't have a clue about or don't have the capital to do it then I can partner the deal with them and we sell it and we both make a profit and we both win. Mm. So, and and you're doing this uh, virtually. You're doing this in person. How how are you then working with people? Well, the people that I work with in the state of Florida, it's you know I'll pretty much go anywhere in the state to take a look at a property if I have to. Uh, a lot of times, believe it or not, we can just send an Uber driver out there to take pictures right now. You know. Mm. And we tip them five bucks and the guy texts us four or five pictures back and then we look at the house and say, all right, good enough. Um, so there's ways you can do this in remote areas or other parts of the state or other parts of the country. Mm. But um, I have a website that a lot of people typically um, visit and they, they, um, you know, they read my ebooks and, and so forth and, and decide that house flipping was something they always wanted to do but just didn't know how or where to get started. Yeah. And that's how we, we, we come across a lot of our students. Yeah, and uh, and that is well. I'll let you give the site the best site you want people to to check out. Sure. Yeah. Well, my main website is millionairemailman dot com. Yeah, it's really uh, real real simple to find, and uh, I've actually written an ebook. If you don't mind me giving a a, a free ebook that I've written for everybody, it's about how to get to your first ten thousand dollar check in the next ninety days. Mm. 
if if they want a copy of that, uh, all you got to do is text. Actually, just text the word mailman to text code three one nine nine six, and you'll get that ebook right to your phone. Okay, so text the word mailman to three one nine nine six. Correct. Oh, sweet. That's very very cool. And uh, and I will say this, man. Which is uh, so we met we met at the New Media Summit, and uh, and we're actually going to do a separate segment here. We'll talk about the New Media Summit uh, on, on its own here in just uh, just a wee little bit. But uh, but one of the things that I remember about you, and you know, and this look, real estate's a very competitive market. I mean, there's no there's no question at all about that. It's a very competitive market. So you have to figure out how to stand out. You obviously deal flow is going to be one of the main differentiators between you know a successful real estate investor and one who's, who's struggling and, and so a lot of that boils down to marketing and and visibility and obviously yeah, i mean this is a great way for you to get visibility to come on to shows like this and of course you know when people visit your site you may end up being a partner in a deal you may end up you know with somebody saying look tom we gotta we gotta you know we got an, uh, a house or whatever we gotta get out from underneath of. maybe you'd be interested in buying it so, you know, you could get those inbound inquiries, but you're also really, really good and fun in person. I mean, like you, you have a, it's a, it's a shtick, you know, like oh, it's, and, great and it's a great shtick. So coming out of the new media summer, we got 150 attendees there and, you know, it's kind of hard to tell person A from person B after a while. I mean, your shtick is you, you actually carry the, the letter bag, right? So you've got the mailman's bag and you've got these little, uh, little foam houses, that yeah, you just toss out at people, and you know you play catch with it and whatnot. But it's got your info on it, so it's pretty cool. So just from a marketing standpoint, uh, just give us a sense of what you do from a marketing standpoint to stand out, and then how important is uh, marketing for the for the new real estate investor? Excellent question, and thanks for the uh, the compliments on some of my marketing ideas. I just figured I, I did want to separate myself from everyone else and see what I could do that's out of the box different. So, yeah, my memory hook is definitely the fact that I'm a mailman, and that was how I marketed myself as uh, uh, a person attending your event. But as, as far as marketing for real estate deals, uh, maybe part of this is part of my old background coming from mail. I still believe in direct mail. And depending on, you know, the, the business model you have, um, direct mail is still very effective. In fact, I've found it to be even more effective than other marketing channels such as Facebook ads, mm-hmm. um, which it, 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 it can be effective in Facebook ads and, and probably even more so Google AdWords mm-hmm. because of, you know, we know that probably know the difference between the two as far as the type of quality of lead they attract. Sure. But um, we've bought uh, keywords from Google. That's worked better for us. But uh, we have certain niche lists that we market to. And we usually target, um, I'll just kind of tell you my formula right out. We, sure. we target like absentee owner homes. And in Florida, we have a lot of those where the owner lives up north and they're kind of a snowbird where they, you know, they come down here in the winter, which is mm-hmm. popular for Florida and the southern states. Mm-hmm. So that's my little niche here. And we target um, homes where the owners are 50 years old and older. So... Uh, those people in Florida are getting a lot of inherited properties because their parents are dying off. Mm-hmm. So I'm 58 years old, and I'm blessed that my mom and dad are still alive and well, but uh, my friends, gosh, yeah. their moms and dads are dropping off like flies, and they're getting houses that they inherit. They don't want the house. They just want the cash. 
Yeah. So we. So what's the secret sauce there? Like how how do you find those lists? How how are you? What what are you doing to find those people? Oh, actually, I mean, lists today for mailing list perspective, there's there's very uh, large list brokers out there that that the lists are very smart today. The lists actually know the equity that's in the property. Mm. It knows the loan value that's on it, and it knows the market value. Wow. So if I wanted to market to homes that were, say, you know, the absentee owners that are 50 years and older that have 50% or more in equity above the mortgage, yeah. that I could get that list in a couple clicks of a mouse, piece and, of cake. And what resource is that? Uh, listability.com is one of them. Listability, there we go. All right, so yeah. thanks for that. Richie, we got a minute left here, man. No, so, I was just going to ask, if on a, for a list of like 100, what's the average cost per each of those leads? Uh, it's about, uh, I have a special deal with them, but it, it could be about anywhere from three to five cents, depending on how many filters you add to it. Holy. Wow. Amazing. All right. A really good. So yes, Wade, you're jumping out of the chair. We got 40 seconds. Yes. Just real quick about the power of direct marketing. The internet broke geographic exclusivity. You know, that's the main impact across everything. But I think real estate may be the one market where, yeah, it's about geographic exclusivity. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going to uh, we're going to have to jump here, man. But really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on reinvention radio today. And you can get more information on Tom and uh, all the fun stuff that he is up to at MillionaireMailman.com. And uh, if you missed the number to text uh, the word, what was it, the word mailman, right? You can text the word mailman, too. You can just listen, uh, just play, hit the rewind button on this, and uh, and you'll see it again. So thanks, Tom. Really appreciate you joining us here on Reinvention Radio. For Richie Ote and White Wade, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. You were born to do one amazing thing, but most people spend a lifetime trying to identify what it is. If you're in a job you don't like or are unemployed, if you're in a state of transition or just can't shake that nagging feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, then the Reinvention Workshop is exactly what you need. Led by award-winning self-help author Steve Olsher, the Reinvention Workshop will forever change your life. The Reinvention Workshop takes you step-by-step through Steve's proven formula that has helped so many people get on the right path and clear about what they were born to do. Take the first step to realizing the life you deserve and desire by visiting thereinventionworkshop.com today. No more delays. No more denial. Reconnect with your true self. Learn to live with purpose and conviction and become who you were born to be. The world is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Log on to thereinventionworkshop.com today. That's thereinventionworkshop.com.